Welcome to the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. My name is Kelly A. Turner, and I'm a PhD cancer researcher, New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope, and the founder of the Radical Remission Project. In this podcast, it is our honor to bring you inspiring healing stories directly from radical remission survivors themselves, as well as from the amazing doctors and healers they work with. As a reminder, the Radical Remission Project is not against conventional medicine, and we fully support an integrative approach to healing. Most of all, we hope that this Stories That Heal podcast will inspire and educate you along your healing journey. Anne Fonfa was diagnosed with breast cancer in January 1993. She was suffering from extreme multiple chemical sensitivity, still not recognized as an illness today. She avoided chemotherapy, hormonal and radiation treatments using surgery and natural strategies to survive. Told she was stage four in 1997, Anne added personalized Chinese herbal prescriptions to her complex complementary protocol. In 2019, Anne was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma and is again using Chinese herbal medicine as well as monoclonal antibodies. In 1999, Anne founded the Annie Appleseed Project, an all-volunteer cancer nonprofit sharing evidence-based information on complementary therapies and integrative oncology. She is well known for moving awareness forward and has spoken at many conferences and events. Her work continues to educate and inform people with cancer, as well as those in the oncology field. The Annie Appleseed Project hosts an annual Complementary and Alternative Medicine for Cancer conference featuring patient panels and medical practitioners from around the world. Anne also advocates for male breast cancer and the LGBTQIA community. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. This is the fabulous Anne Fonfa, world known, I know for sure. And we're so excited to have you here and share your story. You know, you've, you're kind of a radical remission celebrity as is, but we are still very happy to have you on the podcast to touch other people who don't already know your story. So thanks for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Really great. Excellent. Well, let's just dive right in today um, and just get right into it with a little bit about how you were diagnosed initially and when was when did that take place? In December of 1992, when I was 44 years old, I felt a calloused area in my left breast at two o'clock. And I mentioned that because later I'll refer to what that means. And I, you know, I callous. Nobody ever mentioned callous when they mentioned anything. So I didn't think it was anything, but I have a friend who was an acupuncturist and she was treating me. And so she said, you know, you should, you should get a mammogram. So I went and got a mammogram, but it turns out in a joking way, this is the truth. I had invasive lobular eventually diagnosed and that does not show up on mammograms very well. So it was kind of iffy and I was sent to a surgeon a male surgeon. I usually chose female doctors for a variety of reasons. And I did not know anything. I had never had any medical issue at all. I had no idea I could choose my own doctor. So he was my surgeon. And he tells me this whole long thing, we're going to do a lumpectomy if you have cancer and blah, blah, blah. And then his nurse comes in and she says, we have an opening Monday. So I hear, oh, you have the worst cancer in the universe because we're having immediate surgery. 
And I was, that was not good. So Friday I went to work, Saturday I lay in bed lying to my husband, don't worry, everything will be fine, thinking this is my last Saturday on earth and I'd even make 45. And then Sunday at 8 p.m., a woman called me and she said to me, and, and this resonates for me to the nth degree, she said, you don't know me, but I have a 10 year breast cancer survivor. Okay, right now, it's 31 years later, and I got goosebumps again, and I always do, because this woman saved my life. I didn't meet her for years, but she saved my life by saying it was possible to be a survivor. I had no idea, because, you know, people, and, and lots of people may have this experience. They go out of their way to say, my best friend's, oh, yeah, but she died. Oh, my coworkers, oh, I'm sorry, she died. <laughs> I'm like, what? That was not helpful at all. So this woman was the best. I mean, she just... She made all the difference in the world. So Monday morning, I went to surgery, and that's another whole story. I was scheduled for 10 a.m. Now, you all know they tell you no food or drink after midnight or 8 p.m. or whatever they say, but that's really wrong. There's a really important study done with children, and studies in children can be brought to adults. You can't go the other way. You can't go adult to children. But So this study, internationally known, but it's not so much in the U.S., says that you can drink water, clear liquid, they say, up to two hours before surgery, and then you're not dehydrated, which is great. So I had bad veins to begin with. Everybody hates to get blood from me. So I'm there at, 10 a I was there at 7 a.m., you have to come early. 10 a.m. was the schedule of surgery, and at 2 p.m., I had the surgery. So by then, my veins were impossible, and they literally tried four times with this giant needle thing that they use. <laughs> the third time, this woman was a trainee to top it all up. The blood hits the ceiling and we have to change rooms because now it's unsterile. So fourth try, she got it in. I still have scars from her efforts because she did it so hard. Anyway, then wow. I wake up and the doc is there and he says, oh, I have great news. All of the nodes were negative. And I said, I don't know what you mean. And he says, well, we took 18 lymph nodes and they didn't have cancer. I said, really? Because, you know, we didn't have that conversation. Why did you do it? And he says, well, we need to find out what kind of chemo we're going to give you. And I have a little chuckle. And I say, oh, that's really weird because I wasn't planning to have chemo. I'm chemically sensitive. Well, that was fun. I didn't know they did that. He didn't tell me. You know, when he said at the end, do you have any questions? Really, what can one ask? It was pre-internet. I had no idea what, what anything about that. So asking a question would have been, oh, doc, do you think I'll live? And I didn't want to ask him that because, A, I thought I wouldn't, and B, that's a stupid question. I mean, it's just not meaningful because no one can tell you. No one can tell you except yourself. So that was very unfortunate because now I had 18 lymph nodes removed. And we, if we'd had that conversation, I would have said, you know, I had an injury to that arm. Do you think it will matter? He might have said yes or no, but it mattered. I got lymphedema immediately. That was extremely annoying, and no one told me what it was for several months. I bring him my swollen arm, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's swollen. He got paid to tell me that. Next time I say, I woke up one morning, and I start doing my floor exercises, and I look at my left hand, and I have this bubble over the the outside of, of my hand. I'm like, what is that? And I go to him, and I said, what? You know, what's this? And he says, oh, yeah, it's swollen. <laughs> that was really helpful. Two months later, I'm on the train going to Washington, D.C. to the uh, LGBT March of 1993, the year I was diagnosed, meeting my sister. And I'm reading a journal from California, and it says, oh, that's called lymphedema, and it's a lifetime illness. And I'm going, what? I have another chronic illness? I was very unhappy. And of course, since I was seeing my sister, I burst into tears the minute I saw her. And she was like, it was crazy. Anyway, but, you know, you learn to live with stuff, and I learned to live with it. and and I ran a group teaching people about lymphedema and talking about what you could do to reduce it. It never got really bad for me because I focused on nutrition 
right from the beginning. So back to the chemical sensitivity, I could not do chemotherapy. And I met with an oncologist and this very caring, sensitive oncologist said, oh, we'll start chemo next week. And I said, you know, doc, I have a problem. And he said, oh, it doesn't matter. Go, no, you know, it really matters to me. And then he's, I tell him, well, when I smell things, I get really dizzy and sometimes I can't get out of bed for three or four days and I have a headache and I get a rash, blah, blah. And he says, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, it didn't matter to him, but you know, it mattered a lot to me. Okay. So I was lucky. There was a support group in New York City. I joined the support group and I find out all these details after the fact of things I could have checked ahead of time or whatever. One woman's father had breast cancer, and she was told, oh, it doesn't matter if your father has breast cancer. So I said, you know, I took 10th grade biology. You know, <laughs> in 10th grade, they say your mom gives you this, your dad gives you this, and then that's you. So how could it not matter? Then she says, because she knew about breast cancer because her father had it, and she says, I told the doctor not to cut the brachial nerve. Everybody says, what's that? And she says, that's where you get that numb spot after surgery. And... Uh, I had it, you know, still have it, still have it, doesn't go away because nerves don't really heal easily or maybe ever. So these were important, useful things. And then, okay, I want to go back to breast cancer at two o'clock, left breast. It turns out 50%, 50% of all breast cancer is the left breast at two o'clock. And my friend, the Chinese, acupuncturist, not Chinese, but acupuncturist said to me, you know, the digestive meridian goes through the left breast at two o'clock. And I said, aha, nutrition's really important. I am really going to pursue that. So I become as organic as possible, you know, almost 100%. And I talked to my support group, none of whom are doing anything like I'm doing. And I'm taking some dietary supplements and I got some magnets, which I put in my... um, I have a lumpectomy, so I put them in my bra, trying to reduce the tumor. I tried everything I could think of. And then within 15 months, I got more tumors, and that was fun. So, but I felt the second one in the same place as the first one, remembering that the surgeon had said, oh, yeah, we got it all. No, I'm sure a lot of people hear that about every type of cancer, we got it all. It's not true. A, they can't tell at all. Our equipment's not that great. And B, you can't get it all because, you know, it's it's always there somewhere. And it shows up later and you don't know where it was, but it was somewhere. So now I had it back, 15, 15 months. So then they said, oh, if it's earlier than two years, oh, man, this is terrible, you know. <laughs> but when we did the, the uh, pathology, it was very slow growing, very slow growing. It was the same tumors that had probably been in the breast. Turns out I had tumors all in the breast. But the doc, because he never did a biopsy because he was so sure of himself, I didn't know I had more than one tumor and had a bunch. So that one grew slowly, 15 months more, it was there. And by then, I mean, I thought growing slowly, this is great because I knew people, mine was growing, normal cells grow at a rate of 2.7%, whatever that means. And my tumor cells were growing at 3.5. I knew women who had 14, 40, you know, 80. I mean, I was, I had slow growing. So that was very comforting. And I said, it must be what I'm doing. That's helping me stay strong. And from then on, I thought I'm not dying of breast cancer because I've got it under control. It was kind of funny. I mean, I really felt that very, very strongly. I felt like I have this, I have this, I'm not going to die from breast cancer. Okay. So was that? And what year? So how many? It was 1995. So what I decided to do was start doing coffee enemas from the Gerson program. I started juicing, and I also um, became a vegan. So now I'm 100% organic, I'm vegan, I'm juicing, and I'm doing coffee enemas, which, by the way, I love. I still love. 
I still do them. I do one a day all these years later. It's 31 years since the original diagnosis. And um, so I didn't do radiation. That's another whole story. But everything was wrong about the way it was presented to me, everything. Even the measurements, the person measuring says, I'm a student. I wish the doctor would stay in the room. I'm not sure what I'm doing. You're not sure what you're doing, and you're measuring me for radiation. I think not. So yes. I told the doctor, not, not going to happen, and I didn't do that. And my husband kept saying, you know, don't make a political decision. I know you're anti-nukes, but you got to make a medical decision. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I made a medical decision. I'm not doing it. So I didn't do radiation. And the hormones seemed to me, you know, hormonal treatment, tamoxifen, it wasn't specific enough, and I knew it didn't impact everybody, but nobody could get the real stats. It wasn't clear, and I wanted personalized medicine right from the get-go. So this was about Anne Fonfa, a unique individual. You know, not unique from the rest of the world in the sense that I'm so special, but it's me, and you're you. You get to do what you want to do. I get to do what I want to do, and I tell people that when I talk about nutritional programs. You don't need my protocol. You need yours you know, and whatever that is. I mean, you know, because people call me tortured, like, I can't do vegan. I say, okay, but do the Mediterranean or do the DASH diet. All of them have proven to be useful or just stop eating junky junk, you know? Yeah, right, or yeah. The S word, which is what I usually call it, but it's junk food and it's <laughs> called junk because it's not good for you. So, you know, it's pretty clear cut what not to do. And then what to do, oh, fresh fruits and vegetables, yay. You know, organic whenever possible. And I always say that because some people can't work it. But if you can, and then, you know, it's it's very meaningful because that's that's what our body's made out of. That's our body. So the other thing I did was exercise for an hour a day. And I, I you know, my, my husband is a champion athlete. My brother was a champion athlete, but I am not athletic. But I got really, you know, I was really motivated. And I understood that from 3 to 4 a.m. was the hour of the liver. I'm not sure where I got that from, but I was riding my stationary bike for an hour in the house. That was pretty At nutty. 3 a.m.? Yeah, three to four. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, whatever. I'm still alive, so whatever. But but after that, <laughs> I began to do, you know, walk outside, um, do other exercises. I, they, the organization that I was with, Share in New York City, they had yoga. Oh, that's the other thing. The, the uh, oncologist said to me, yoga, are you trying to kill yourself? And he really meant it. So, you know, I knew he was completely nutso. I mean, here's this thousands of years of tradition in India, I'm sure they weren't killing themselves. You know, I mean, that was obvious. How could he even imagine that? So anyway, so I was doing yoga with Cher and that was great, you know, really fun, really movement. And, but I had the left arm issue and it was swollen. So I couldn't do some of the moves, but you know, that's the thing. You do what you can and, and you leave the rest. There's a song with that. And you know, that's what I learned to do. So I did whatever was right for me and rejected the stuff that were nonsensical and not right for me. And then, you know, I started going to meetings and finding out about more things. And there was an underground world of alternative. Back then, nutrition was alternative, physical movement was alternative, yoga was alternative, everything was alternative. So uh, it didn't, you know, I wasn't afraid of it because it was it was obvious those things were not alternative, alternative to human beings. You know, and my friend with the acupuncturist was treating me just for immune boost, you know, and the one thing she did for me prior to cancer, she stopped my menstrual cramps. Three months of needles, I had no idea what she did or why or how, but I never had another menstrual cramp, so that was fantastic. So I had a lot of, you know, a lot of good things going on along with the cancer. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd love to know um, at, at what point did you, um, well, I guess this was significantly before the radical remission research. Mm -hmm. But yep. I'd love to hear your response when you first learned about radical remission, because it sounds like you were well on your path 
using all of the healing factors leading up to well before they were published. So when, you know, how did you find out about radical remission and what well, was your initial re response? Yeah, thank you. That's a, it's a good question because Kelly Turner came to our conference and she wow. started talking to us about spontaneous remission. And I said, you know, it's not some phase working our butts off here. So she got the brilliant idea of calling it radical. And I think she interviewed some of the people at our conference, including me, you know, a conversational. And um, and we were, you know, there's a lot of us who found our way. But I know myself. I mean, I'm a very strong personality. Lots of people tell me, oh, I'm in a group and they hate that I talk about alternatives. And I said, nobody ever said that to me. <laughs> I guess I scare people because no one would dare to tell me not to do something. I don't believe in that. So when I met Kelly, it was a great meeting of the minds because I understood that she understood and I understood where she was going. And I thought it was amazing and brilliant because that's what people need. They need to have confidence in themselves and the possibility of healing. And I think, um, you know, I'm representative of that because. I fumbled, bumbled, stumbled my way, still going okay. You know, that was that was amazing. But, I mean, I had more tumors. I wasn't done. My three were not enough. I had three more. Eventually, I had a mastectomy. And then uh, less than a year later, I had, um, you know, again, I had invasive lobular. What they told me about it is we don't know a lot, but it usually goes to the other breast. So then I had something called Paget's disease of the nipple, where it turns crusty and purple. And they took a sample, uh, you know, biopsy thing, and it was this Paget's. But I said to the new surgeon, the female, very nice woman, and I said to her, look, I do not want you to take any lymph nodes because I already lost the use of my left arm at the time it was painful and, and bad. It's not bad anymore. And I said, I don't want you to mess with that because if I'm dying of breast cancer, I prefer to die with my right arm usable. So she didn't take any lymph nodes. And she comes out and she says to me, oh, it's a good thing we didn't take any lymph nodes. You didn't even have a tumor. So then I said, glue it back on. They can't do that. So they couldn't do that. That was the end of that. So now I'm I'm restless. And I had told this group that I was running on, on what we call the whole health study group. I told them, you know, I'm going to wear spaghetti straps for the first time in my life because I had D breasts, you know, big breasts from the age of 10. I always had breasts. Wow. Yeah, so, and they were a big thing to me. I mean, not just big because they were big, but very important to me, important to my sexuality. It was very sad that I lost them both. However, you know, you have the rest of yourself. And my, my husband was terrific about it, you know, saying you're so beautiful. And he still tells me that every day we've been married together or married for 40 years. So that, that's nice. Have real support. My sister was very supportive. My mother was very supportive. I had gone to a clinic in Mexico. My mother came with me. <laughs> that was great. You know, your mother came with you. You know, what could be better than that? Really, it was it was super fun. So I couldn't be anxious. We walked to the beach every day. You know, it was really good. So going forward now, I have no breasts, and I start to really actually enjoy it by wearing these spaghetti strap, skimpy stuff. But before I was comfortable with it. I was walking down, I was in Manhattan, I was walking down a uh, university place wearing uh, like a white, a fairly tight shirt that had some spandex in it, so it was tight, with a black leather jacket. And a gay man walked past me and he said to me, great bod. So I felt really special, you know, like even a gay man, like I guess he thought I was trans or whatever, but it was pretty fun and I enjoyed it. And I said to myself, you know, get over yourself, let's enjoy it. So then I began to enjoy not having breasts and I started choosing completely different clothing that went with my new look. And it, it was quite fun, you know, it was really interesting. And and then, you know, when I had conversations with people and they would say, what kind of cancer did you have? And I'd say, okay, well, take a wild guess. And I put my hands over the non-existent breast, you know, mm -hmm. but people didn't want to be rude. So they didn't want to 
call it out, but I was fine with it, you know, still alive. That's okay. I ended up having 25 tumors. So at the time that, that the, um, so after, after the mastectomy, I'm like, wait, I think I have a tumor. It's tiny, very tiny. It's like the kind you have between your fingers when you make that little star thing. And I, tiny tumor, what is this? How could I have a tumor on the chest? I don't even have any breasts anymore. So then I said to myself, okay, well, you know, you, and my surgeon said, well, you know, you have breast tissue. It looks like tissue. You can't really tell. So when you have a full mastectomy, it doesn't necessarily get all the breast tissue. So I had a tumor. That was shocking. And I had it removed. But she was very casual about it because she didn't think it was cancer, but it was. It's consistent with what I had, you know, lobular. And um, then I had two more. And then I had four more. And so I was taking my Taki mushroom extract and one of the tumors went away, but then I got another one. And what year was that when you started using the herbs? 19, well, this is 1997 when they told me I was stage four because I had chest wall. And yeah. um, what the doctor said, I saw two doctors. One of them said, well, it may have gone through your body and come out on the chest wall. It's metastatic. And I said, it may have gone through my body. So they didn't know. No tests were done. I didn't know they were supposed to do tests, and they didn't do any tests. The second doctor, same thing. It probably went through your body, and probably, you tell me I'm stage four, probably. I said, you're not talking to me. And I just pushed them away mentally and physically not talking to me. And so then I was in San Antonio at the Breast Cancer Symposium. I met Dr. George Wong, my Chinese herbalist. Mm -hmm. I had an MRI. He said, I can help you. I had three and a half centimeters of involvement on the chest wall. I actually got a... Um, so, you know, I started taking his herbs. It took a while. had a very strong reaction, but it benefited my chemical sensitivity. The symptom changed. I call that objective because it's completely, and subjectively, I wrote, I'm 65% better in three days. It was incredible. Wow. So it took a while to feel comfortable, but I started doing the teas again. And in 10 months, he said, oh, you're done. You can stop. And I said, oh, how can I stop? And I also didn't stop my supplements and my, my routine because all those years it kept me going when nothing else was available. Mm -hmm. So I kept doing my own protocol plus his. At 14 months, he said to me, you have to stop. So I had an MRI. Oh, he didn't, he didn't yeah. want you to keep going? Was there something? Because I didn't need the herbs anymore. Ah. He said, you have to stop. So I stopped, had an MRI, and I got a call um, a couple of nights later, the woman doctor reading the MRI. And she starts out with, why did you have a chest wall MRI? So I tell her the whole long saga and she says, okay, I'll call you back. And in an hour, she calls me back and she says, I can't find anything. I was very, very happy, free of cancer after a lot of years of a lot of tumors. I had 25 tumors. I am without question the tumor queen of North America, possibly <laughs> of the entire continent. Yeah, Not sure, like but yeah. So 25 tumors, that's a lot, you know, and I survived them all, which is amazing, but, but true. I mean, it just... Like I said, I didn't feel like it was going to kill me. I really didn't. And I made up my mind, I'm surviving this. And then I did, you know, and I still am. Looking for a thoughtful, heartfelt gift for someone with cancer? The Radical Remission Project has partnered with woman-led small business Rest and Heal to create lovely care packages for you to send. They feature the Radical Remission and Radical Hope books, alongside natural wellness products, all of which are non-toxic and sourced from women-owned, Black-owned, and New York State businesses. We know our community is passionate about spreading the Radical Remission healing factors, and these care packages 
are a great way to get knowledge into the hands of those who need it most. Visit restandheal.com forward slash shop to purchase or learn more. That's restandheal.com forward slash shop. Being diagnosed with a serious health challenge can be emotional and overwhelming. At Radical Remission, we believe no one needs to face a diagnosis alone. Our certified health coaches work one-on-one or in small groups to support people living with a diagnosis to integrate the 10 healing factors of Radical Remission. Our team of coaches include national board certified health coaches, doctors, nurses, and other medical practitioners, as well as mental health providers. Our coaches meet each person where they are on their healing journey to offer support, accountability, and goal setting in a positive manner. Check out RadicalRemission.com to find your health coach and connect with them to learn more about what it might look like to work together. See the show notes for links to find a coach on RadicalRemission.com. About four years ago, it came back on the chest wall, but had 18 years without cancer. I'm fine about it, you know, fine about it. I, I think people get really scared, but after a while, you can't be that scared. And I, I'm wondering often, if you haven't had conventional treatment and you have recurrence, it's different than if you've had conventional treatment. Because when you get a recurrence after the conventional treatment, you, you go to more conventional treatment. And as we all know, sadly, it's less impactful and less effective. So I didn't have that. And I had all those tumors without getting worse. I mean, that's pretty interesting. I'm an end of one, you know, all by myself in this, but it's an example to the universe that it could be done if someone wanted to try it. You know, I mean, I know people who've tried everything, nothing, combinations, whatever, but, you know, I'm I'm lucky, no question, but it's not just luck. It's a lot of effort, but not not painful effort, but joyous effort, you know, the pleasure of life. I mean, I I tell people all the time, I live, I just live. That's what I do. You are radical. Yeah, you are radical for sure. And and what keeps you uh, so strong and living and enjoying life? What's your strong reason for living? You know, it's an interesting thing. I come from a happy family. My father, my brother, my sister and I, we, we figure we have happy genes. We just mm-hmm. always feel good. And I encourage that in myself by thinking about what makes me happy today. And little things, it's not, you know, massive it's little things. So, you know, the world's a mess. You can read the news, which I do. I, I, I feel bad for the world. But personally, I think, what a gorgeous flower. Oh, I can't even believe it's right in front of me. So yesterday, I took my great niece, my, my niece and her kids to the pool of my community where I am on Long Island. And there were gorgeous flowers all around. I took pictures of them. And I looked at them and I looked at them. And I thought, this is so beautiful. This is so worth everything. Okay. Or Somebody comes by with a baby carriage and I hear the baby chuckling or I get a chance to baby whisper. I'm a professional baby whisperer and I can make any child chuckle or fall asleep, whichever they desire. And so if they're, if I get them smiling and laughing, that's really makes me happy, really makes me happy. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's little things. It doesn't have to be the most of the universe. You know, wow, I had a fabulous lunch yesterday. I had a fabulous lunch. So, you know. It's exactly what we tell people in the radical remission workshops that it's the little things it's the day-to-day stuff it's your gift so you as a baby whisperer have a gift and um, <laughs> that's what matters i love it so i have actual proof that i'm a baby whisperer i know it sounds ridiculous but one of my niece's kids was uh, was ill at birth 
and she had a visiting nurse come all the time. And I was there before the nurse came one day and I put the baby in my arms and I rocked her to sleep. When the nurse came, she said, oh my God, the baby's in a coma. We'll have to go to the hospital. I said, no, no, she's not in a coma. I put her to sleep. So she got such a deep and restful, beneficial sleep because the baby whisperer did it. Not kidding. I've done it before and since, but it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's a real thing. I wish I, wish I had, could work on my plan when I was a kid. I used to plan that I would have a baby nursery and a garden nursery, and they'd be in the same you know space, and we had the garden and then the babies or vice versa, you know, but life has other plans, as we know. It didn't work out that way. When I moved to Florida, uh, before I got cancer, planning to move to Florida, I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then I'll work one day a week in a senior citizen home because I like that. I don't have any problem with taking care of seniors, but life had other plans. So now I, I do my cancer work, but that makes me happy, too. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. I have a terrible memory. So I tell people, you're HIPAA safe with me. Anything you tell me is a secret because I'm not going to remember by tomorrow. <laughs> so, Anne, tell, I know we can, we can talk a little bit more about the, you know, when this is, but tell us a little bit about how you came to um, create the CAM conference that you run. Yeah, that's an interesting story. A, a wonderful young uh, man named Dennis Roth came to me. He was a philanthropist. Son had had a brain tumor and been treated by Dr. Keith Block in Illinois. And he said to me, I'd love to, to uh, fund a conference with Dr. Block speaking. Would you do it? So I said, okay, you know, okay. And then this is the sad part. Dennis suddenly died of a heart attack. And I had already gotten a hotel, gotten the speakers, Dr. Block couldn't come. The whole thing was like, I'm going, oh no, what's going to happen next? And I started having trouble sleeping. And then um, two women who knew his family, and they had the foundation, went to, went to them and said, look, you know, there was a promise made. And so they came through with the money and we had the conference and it was amazing. I overdid it. I invited too many speakers and, you know, it was, it was, it was a hundred people first time. And, but it was great. We had organic food that I always wanted. I've been to a lot of conferences. I know what I like and I know what's important. And I wanted the speakers to have a disclosure slide and actually let people read it. I don't know if you've been to mainstream conferences, but it zooms by. You can't even see it. What's the point? You know, so that was one thing. And then I wanted them to be accessible to the participants and not run away, not have a green room where they hide. Everybody was part of the meeting. And so that there was standards that we established right from the beginning. And the second year was even better, more people, less speakers, you know, more time to, to uh, talk to each other and network. And then it just became a thing. We did it every year because nobody wanted me to stop. I always thought, you know, it's a lot of work and it's just me. And then I got someone to help me. That was Julia, uh, you know, my volunteer, Julia Chiapetta. Good greetings to you, Julia. She's, you know, amazing. And so she helped between she and I, we organize the conference every year. Now, of course, we have lots more volunteers at the meeting who are willing to help us. But we had decided long ago that we established a scholarship program because, you know, we're an all-volunteer organization at the Policy Project, so we don't get money. We get money for the scholarship program. So the scholarships are for people with advanced cancer or who are unpaid as advocates because it's hard for them to get, you know, to get around and the scholarship's important, but we couldn't afford major size scholarships like cover everything because pharma doesn't fund us, but we wouldn't take the money even if it offered, it's never been offered, it never will be, that's okay. So we have the scholarship fund, we have the speakers do not get paid, they volunteer their time. Sometimes we provide a hotel room if they're from um, a low income country, uh, but in general, no. So it grew to, 
about 250 people and we're in a different hotel because the, that hotel, the fire department says 250, but literally last year was 265, but it's okay. They didn't, they didn't call us on it. Food's still organic, the networking is still going on. The speakers are amazing. They come from all over the world. They have all different points of view. We currently call it many paths to wellness because that's been my philosophy all along. You know, like I hate wheatgrass. That's not on my path. You love wheatgrass, have a great time. You know, but <laughs> the wellness, you can choose what works for you. And there's so many things. So at our conference, you'll hear conflicting ideas. And I know that's hard, but it's an important thing to find out that there's not just one way to go. And that's important because that one way may not be your way. And then you're stuck, you know, going, oh, no. Yeah, it's we such know. such a great lesson. Yeah, and from the radical remission research, we know there isn't just one way, right? When it comes to diet, there is no one diet. You have to figure out what's the right thing for you. So so all of the factors help you figure that out. Being empowered and using your intuition and all of that really, yeah. really helps. So, um, and we've had the pleasure of being at your conference before, and um, it is amazing. What, how many years now? What will the next, next one be? Next year will be the 16th, but we had two wow. in 2012. Uh, a woman who we had given scholarship money to another kind of conference in the past, when she died, she left us almost $30,000. So we had a conference in San Francisco. Um, I had two board members in San Francisco at the time and three other volunteers. And so we held a conference out there, 180 people out of the box, two-day wow. conference. Yeah, it was it's, great. And, it is uh, really such a it's such a unique uh, environment, not only because of the learning and the um, the information, but to your point of hearing so many different perspectives and everyone there being open and welcome to whatever someone wants to talk about, and having the speakers intermingle we're eating with the the speakers and we're we're laughing and hearing their personal stories about their lives and their practices and and some really strong connections can be made there so i really i have to say i personally have just enjoyed enjoyed it so much when i've been able to come and um i thank you very much for for being the catalyst for such a a great outlet I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I mean, now I'm committed to it, but I literally was shaking the, like the third, fourth year. I kept saying to people, I think this is it. And they're going, no, you can't stop. And we didn't stop, which was a good thing. Yeah. And it's really, it's, yeah. it's important to me too, but you know, it takes like four to six months of planning to get it going. But, yeah. but we have, you know, we know the outlines of it and then it becomes very interesting. And next year is going to be unusual in that on our, our conference is now going to be all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then on Sunday, it's going to be a tag on for doctors to understand more about integrative oncology. They may be doctors who have some experience or some who have no experience, but want to learn more. Because as all of us know who who got involved with integrative or alternative doctors, they have their way. But we want many paths to wellness and we want docs to be open to that too. Very important because if you can't fit in their scheme, they'll fire you. And that's a terrible feeling. We want to have more of a connection and make it possible that, you know, that you do you while you work with the doctor of your choice. That's very important. I mean, most people need a physician or someone to work with. I had my acupuncture friend and it was enough for me. I was lucky again, lucky, you know, and uh, it, it was easier for me to make my decisions like I said, no one ever told me no. Uh, my father used to call me a lot and say, well, my partner did chemo. She's fine. She golfs. She's fine. His golf partner. And he, you know, she is fine. She's 15 years. Old. I said, dad, we're not the same people. She's, mm. you know, she's not, doesn't have my issues. I don't have hers, whatever. The yeah. other thing is, you know, there was great 
a great ability to ignore the harms of conventional treatment. And I couldn't do that right from the beginning. So I was trying to help people immediately understand the harms could be prevented with various techniques and trying to show those techniques so that people could learn. And that's one of our biggest things. We have the handout on reducing treatment toxicity. And it should be done along with. It took years to, for people to understand that and for medical profession to understand. People would always say, oh, my doctor told me to wait till I was done with treatment. Well, when you're done, then you've already got the problem as opposed to possibly preventing it or reducing the intensity. So I always tell people, I don't tell you what not to do, but I'll tell you what else to do. And that is my philosophy. Many paths to wellness, we got to start doing them right away. That's great. So is there any other of the radical remission factors that you feel like played a really big role in, in your healing journey? It's, it's my mindset. It's the things that I do to keep myself healthy, my willingness to try new ideas, you know, to go down the line. So I was diagnosed with lymphoma in January of 2019, the exact same date as original diagnosis of breast cancer. Whoa. How weird is that? January 7th. It's a weird wow. day. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened, but it did. So I, didn't, I did alternative medicine for two years. It, it did not work. Did not work. Lots of people get benefit, you know, many passed to wellness. And I, the other thing I say is my Abraham Lincoln statement, some things work some of the time for some of the people. Mm -hmm. But none of those worked for me, which was amazing, because I knew lots of people for whom it had worked, but not for me. So eventually I accepted what's called monoclonal antibodies. I couldn't do chemo because I don't do chemo. So I met with the doc, a hematologist a woman, and I say, look, I want to try a half dose of these drugs not the full dose, because I'm chemically sensitive. I don't know how I'm going to react. You know, because after my first surgery, I literally was awake for six nights. That's how anesthesia worked for me. I, every other thing I ever did was under a local, because I couldn't tolerate general anesthesia. Okay, so back to the 2019. So now I'm 2021, and I'm meeting with this doc, and she agrees I can do a half dose. I get to the clinic. She's on vacation, <laughs> of course, and this uh, I'm sitting in the chair waiting for the treatment, and the doctor, this male doctor comes over with three nurses, three women nurses, standing over me, and he says, you know, you're going to die if you do that dose. You can't do that dose. You're going to die. So I stood up, and I said, look, if I'm going to die, I think I'm going to go home. I'd rather die at home. And I left because I won't take any crap from someone like that. He doesn't know me, and he has no right to speak like that to me. It was ridiculous. So I left. You know, and they were shocked, but I don't care. Two hours later, I get a call. My doctor's nurse heard about it, called the doctor, and she said to him, hey, she's having the half dose. So I came back and I got the half dose and it was okay. But I also had Dr. Wong's herbs again. So I wasn't fearful of any harms. And indeed, I had no adverse effects from the treatment. However, they also gave me Benadryl and steroids. So first thing I say when my doc comes back, I don't want steroids. But she says, oh, fine. You know, if that's fine, why would, why did I get them at all? You know, that was weird. And then I said, eventually, uh, shortly uh, shortly thereafter, I don't want Benadryl. Okay. And then eventually I said, I only took Tylenol for the first time when you all gave it to me. I don't think I want to take that anymore either. So the herbs protected me. I didn't need their medication. And nobody even said they were going to do that. Just like with the lymph node surgery, you know, you get a half truth. And that wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. So that was odd. But since then, I don't need treatment because... Whatever reason, the tumor, I have one tumor now. I had a whole bunch. That's why I went to them. I had all over my neck, my you know lymph glands or whatever. But I only have one now. So that one I'm using currently, DMSO with frankincense and myrrh. And I put it on almost every day. Tumors either stable or shrinking most of the time. Wow. 
You know, what can I say? Lots of people lymphoma contact me. I mean, it's doable, obviously. And I, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm a regular human being. I didn't come from Mars or anything like that. So, <laughs> and I'm not going there either when they, when they do that, but, but I'm, I'm healing again. I'm healing again. So That's there's amazing. something in this that we all know it's a real thing and it's working for me. I'm using it to the max and yeah. the joy of my life, you know? Right. So what was, what's the one piece of advice that you might offer to someone else who's starting a healing journey? Yeah. Well, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of uh, things that if it goes wrong for a while, you can always get back on target and do the things that are right for you because then you're going to feel it. You know, how do we make choices? We think about it and then we feel it in our heart and that's the way to do it. If you're your heart and your brain are combined, you have the right moment, the right thing forward. There's many paths to wellness, and I'm sure that people can find their path positive. Yeah, excellent. And they can talk to us about it, right? Right. Absolutely, yeah. And you, I have to say, between your empowerment and your following your intuition, I mean, they are such guiding lights for you, hearing your story. And and if anyone has any question about those two factors being um, healing, I mean, listening to your story is just going to be evidence of how how clear those things can really be um, a very impactful on your health. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and, and like I said, I feel lucky, but not special, but lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've, you've worked for everything that you've gotten. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. 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 31 years later and four and a half years later. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's just great. You're going strong. Do you have a, an age you want to live to? Have you ever had like a number in mind? Like I'm going to live to 92 or something like yeah, that. You know, I think about that. I know people say, I want to see my, my kid graduate high school. That's too soon. You know, it's too soon. I'm 75 now because I've lived 31 years past my original diagnosis at 44. And, uh, you know, I got, I have a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of work to do and, uh, you know, no, nowhere near ready, nowhere near ready. So I don't even make a plan for that. I'm just going forward, however it goes. And, you know, the happy part for me, again, not spiritual, not religious. So when I die, it won't be on me. It'll be everyone left behind. And that's clear for everybody, but we forget that. And we start worrying. I don't worry. What's the point of worrying? You won't even know. (laughs) No fear of death. We're all going to die. It's the way it is. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is. Joy of life. Fact of life. Indeed. So Anne, is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, I would like people to check our website, a lot of articles, and also our Facebook page, Annie Appleseed Project. We also have a YouTube channel where I've posted the speakers from last year and some from prior years so that people can hear what happened. Uh, I think they'll gain a lot from that. And and I think we probably even have one of Kelly's talks. She's been to our conference three times. I think we have the second one on, on tape and uh, oh, on video. Great. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks we'll have to give that a yeah. give that a peek for sure. So, yeah. So to reiterate, for people if they want to find you, your website, which is yeah, AnnieAppleseedProject.org, and Great. Facebook page is Facebook.com/AnnieAppleseedProject, and the YouTube channel. It looks like it's Annie Appleseed PR. I'm not sure why I did that, but I'm not, I wasn't very techy at the time that I established it. But you'll find it, and you'll see the videos. Lots of people find it. They subscribe or not. We don't care. As long as you see them, we're happy. There's a lot of information on our website. and the Facebook page, I put studies, articles, interviews, and recipes every day. I personally don't try any of them, but they're very interesting recipes. Yeah, well, why don't you share about the 2024 conference, the dates, and how people February. can... Thank you. 
February 22nd to 24th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in West Palm Beach, Florida. So right now it's warm. Everybody's fairly warm. But at the end of February, I can guarantee that you will like to be in West Palm Beach. Minimum temp is 75. I mean, it's not swimming weather from my view, but you know, they have a swimming pool at the hotel, but don't do that. Come to the conference, sit in. Every talk is interesting. We have very interesting exhibitors too. They've all been vetted. We don't do any duplications and you don't have to buy anything. We don't care about that at all. And uh, we just want you to enjoy it and meet other people. And people tell me that they find just the person they were looking for. Someone with their own same rare disease happens all the time. There's just something going on there. It's magical. And, and we all feel very loved and cared about. Absolutely. And that's really important. And, you know, I feel like I toss it in the air and it happens. That's and great. Again. Absolutely. And Carla and I will be there to enjoy it with you. Yay. Absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story with us and with everyone that may have not heard it before. You're an inspiration and um, we're so glad that you were willing to give us your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Radical Remission Project, Stories That Heal podcast. Once again, I'm Kelly A. Turner, PhD, cancer researcher and founder of the Radical Remission Project. If you found today's episode inspiring, we encourage you to share it with anyone you think would benefit. If you'd like more information about the Radical Remission Project, or would like some support bringing the 10 Radical Remission Healing Factors into your own life, visit us at RadicalRemission.com to find a certified Radical Remission Health Coach or to learn about an upcoming Radical Remission Workshop. And if you'd like to connect with Liz or Carla directly for health coaching, you can visit RadicalRemission.com forward slash about us. Most importantly, be sure to like, share, and please, please, please review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews are what allow us to keep finding sponsors and sponsors are what allow us to keep bringing you these podcasts. So thank you in advance for your reviews. One last thing, would you like to be on our podcast? If you're a radical remission survivor who's been in remission for at least three years, meaning that you either have stable or dormant disease or perhaps even no evidence of disease, you can contact us at RadicalRemission.com forward slash podcast. The Stories That Heal podcast is a production of the Radical Remission Project and CAT Productions, hosted by Liz Curran and Carla mans produced by Ryan Giroux, music by Batchbug. Follow The Stories That Heal wherever you get your podcasts.